That's the bucolic sound that we'll hopefully soon be hearing much more of because the chainsaws and logging trucks operating in Victoria's native forests will fall silent this summer as that state moves to shut down the industry. It's a decision that has flow-on effects for other states dealing with the hot-button issue of logging in native forests. And there are implications for how the landscapes are managed in the future. Uh, let's talk to a world-leading forest ecologist, Professor David Lindenmayer, uh, who's monitored and worked in the mountain ash forest in Victoria for four decades. Good morning, David. Good morning, Nick. You and your colleagues have been talking about the importance of these forests and alerting the community and the Victorian government for years. Um, tell me how you felt when, when this news came through. Well, Nick, I really welcome the decision because really it was an, an economic one. The, the, the reality was that the industry has been hemorrhaging tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for many, many years and really the, the most sensible decision here was to move the forest industry completely into plantations and use native forests as carbon stores, as sources of water, as the basis for a major expansion in the ecotourism industry. Now, there's a lot of opportunities here, and they weren't possible with an extensive industry a across Victoria. And the good news for you is that this came six years ahead of schedule. That's correct. Again, the reality was that Vic Forests, which is the government agency that was managing the native forest industry in Victoria, had just announced a $54.2 million loss. It had also taken up another $80 million loan. And there was really no way that Vic Forest was actually um, it was actually financially viable. It was trading as, as an insolvent entity. And really, the Victorian government had no other choice but to move out, especially with the budget pressures that are on the government in Victoria. And really, what this now clears the way for are not only carbon credits, but potentially also biodiversity credits under a new nature repair market. So there are a lot of opportunities here in this space, a lot of job opportunities, not only in, in uh, restoration. There's a huge restoration task now for the next few decades, but also through uh, elite firefighting, regenerating large amounts of forest that hasn't regenerated successfully after previous logging and repeated fires. So there's a lot of work to do and a lot of new opportunities and a new economy in this space. David, we heard in the introduction there what the mountain ash forests sound like. Tell us what they look like and, and tell us what sort of wildlife is going to be protected because of this decision having been made. Well, the sound at the opening of the, of the, uh, the little... Uh, little piece there was was the superb lyrebird, which is truly one of Australia's iconic species. But there's many, many other species of birds that occur in those forests, and it's really a cathedral-like environment. You're amongst the the tallest flowering plants on the planet, trees that can approach 100 metres tall, and they create this enormous, a, a really extraordinary sound as the as the sound reverberates through the forest. And it's not just a whole suite of birds that that will now be better protected because we know that many species of birds are strongly associated with old-growth forest, which needs to be forest that's protected for prolonged periods of time. But there's many other species, ranging from uh, little tiny fish that occur almost nowhere else, called the barred galaxis, right through to I iconic animals like Leadbeater's possum, which is Victoria's fawn landworm, and an amazing animal called the southern greater glider, which is, for all intents and purposes, like a small gliding koala that only eats eucalypt leaves and has been declining dramatically in the last 20 or 30 years. So what would have happened if the logging had continued for another six years? 
If the logging had continued, that logging would have been focused in areas of very high conservation value. And we've done the analysis to show where the sites that were planned for logging under what's called the timber release plan in Victoria, they almost completely overlapped with the habitat of more than 50 species of threatened forest-dependent animals and plants across Victoria. And in fact, some logging coops that were planned had up to 10 species that were threatened. And so the, the logging was really at, at its last ends. The other reality here was that there's very little saw log timber that was left, but the, the logging was going to be focused in areas of very high conservation value for many species of threatened animals. Well, that's one of the interesting things about this, isn't it? These old forests are of high conservation value, but they are chopped down for, for low-value products, wood chips, paper pulp. Uh, you were saying that the industry didn't make economic sense, but presumably it makes social sense. It, it kept a lot of people employed in those areas. Well, that's another myth that has been uh, perpetrated by the industry over many years. The, the reality is that 90% of all the timber that came from forests in Victoria actually went into the wood chip and paper pulp stream. And that's very highly mechanised with cutting machines and then the, the trees themselves are carted to be pulped. And there's remarkably few people that are actually employed in that heavily mechanised industry. Now, Vic Forest's submission to the Forest Stewardship Council indicated that less than 550 people were employed in the most important areas of uh, central highlands of Victoria and certainly less than a 1,000 people statewide. And that was several years ago, and the industry has hemorrhaged many, many jobs since then. So not only was it not, not economically viable, it wasn't really socially viable either because there was such a, a small number of people employed in the industry. And this is why I think it's important that as we look to the future, through biodiversity credits, carbon credits, ecotourism, fire control, control of feral animals, there's actually going to be more jobs better jobs, longer-lasting jobs. You know, the, the thing is that if you knock something down, such as this industry, you need to put something better in its place. And I think that's the challenge now, to put up something that employs more people and keeps people in regional Australia with meaningful work. Because this is a challenge for Australia going forward, isn't it? it it's, it's moving away from climate-unfriendly industries to, to climate industries. But you know, I've read of concerns within these communities, especially in East Gippsland, you know, forklift trap livers worried about their livelihoods, other people who are involved in, in the logging industry. Um, what do you say to them? Well, I think that there's going to be new opportunities in this space. We know that if we exit native forest logging in Australia, that will get us to our 2030 targets of minus 43% emissions reduction. But we will still have a carbon resource that's there that needs to be managed. We need to measure that carbon resource. We need to manage it. We need to regenerate large areas of forest that used to have trees that now don't. We need to have elite firefighting. We need to have uh, extensive areas of feral animal control. The numbers of feral deer are exploding across many of our forest ecosystems. So there are major opportunities in this space for forest restoration, forest regeneration, dealing with fire, dealing with carbon management, dealing with the biodiversity credits market, which is also coming. So there are. this is a new economy, a new set of economies with new opportunities in these places. And give us a sense of the national implications of this decision down there in Victoria. Well, I think 
the, the reality here is that the different states are structured differently. So Western Australia is now exiting native forest logging by the end of this year. Southern New South Wales is very similar in its flavour to, to Victoria. It's very intensive logging. It's largely pushing all of its timber through the, the Eden Woodchip Mill. That's for high volume, low value product. Northern New South Wales is different because there are many smaller private mills it's sawmills. So it's a different industry, again, to the southern part of the state. And Tasmania has its own issues uh, because of the economy in that state. But at the same time, because New South Wales and Victoria have, uh, New South Wales and Tasmania haven't announced an, an exit, there's enormous opportunity for new revenue streams coming through the carbon markets because the carbon that a lot of the forests in Australia, particularly in Tasmania and to and and in Victoria, are actually very carbon dense. So there's enormous opportunities in carbon markets as well as biodiversity markets in both places. Uh, Professor David Lindemar, a, a big win for you uh, this week. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on Saturday Extra. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.